is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Oley. I'm in West Palm Beach. After we get done taping the podcast this morning, I'm going to be headed up to Jupiter to uh, get a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. Sarah Abbott, back in Bristol. Kayla Schwenk, back in the Bristol area. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, Just a nice Tuesday morning. You know, got my my stuff together for the show last night while watching The Bachelor. Had to make a serious decision. You know, Bachelor or Summer House. Sarah, which one did you go with last night? I went Summer House. (laughs) But last week, I did go Bachelor. So I had to mix it up. Keep it fresh. What did you choose, Buster? (laughs) You know... You have a choice in your lifetime, okay? You can either watch reality TV or you can live your life. You know oh. what I mean? What do you think? That uh, was a sick bird. Yeah. <laughs> what else is there to do about at 8 o'clock on a Monday? There's no baseball on right now. Uh, that's true. There's no baseball. But you know what? You could go to Baseball Reference and look up some great <laughs> statistics, right? Like okay. that of Jason Kipnis, the former All-Star who announced his retirement uh, 35 years old. He last played in the major leagues in 2020. He was a great pl- uh, pro. He played 19 of his 20 seasons in Cleveland. Reliever Michael Fulmer finalized a one-year, $4 million deal with the Chicago Cubs. I think the Cubs are going to be better than what people expect. We've got a Cubs preview coming up on today's show. We're also going to be talking with Bob Kendrick, who's the president of the Negro Leagues Hall of Fame. I'm going to ask him a bunch of questions about Satchel Page. I just feel like doing that. Dave Schoenfield is going to join us. Uh, and we're going to talk about what Aaron Judge said yesterday about maybe repeating the season. And I'm going to ask him about what Shohei Otani's uh, agent said yesterday or didn't say about Otani becoming a free agent. Here's Aaron Judge yesterday's in Yankees camp about how he will lead his captain. I'll be doing what I've been doing the past you know, six or seven years. You know, Try to lead by example. Um, you know, Be a voice for this team. You know, on and off the field, and you know, keep pushing this team to the ultimate goal of bringing a championship back to New York. You know, that's you know why I'm here. You know, one of the main reasons why I wanted to come back and wear pinstripes is we had a lot of unfinished business here. So, you know, looking forward to you know this this new role. But I don't think a lot of stuff doesn't change for me. You know, it, it got me in this position, and I just got to keep keep focusing on that and keep pushing forward. Okay, since you guys like reality TV, let's talk about the reality. Uh, that show that the Yankees are and Aaron Judge becoming captain. Am I too cynical about this? Like the whole captain thing, I don't get. Like Aaron Judge is a terrific leader. He's a great teammate, and it doesn't matter if they put a C on his jersey or not. It's kind of silly. Am I? Am I? I'm just. And you know, am I, I? I just been around it too much or what, Taylor? No, it's ridiculous. The Yankees captain thing. Is it is ridiculous. Dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. I'm over it. Why is the media playing into it? Stop like, I don't asking it. him about it, please. I don't want to play these clips anymore on this podcast. You know what? Okay. I'm going to be on the opposite side. I think it's lovely. I think Ooh. it's great that he wants to be a captain. Or he gets oh, to be a captain. Oh, my goodness. If Aaron Judge says this year that being a captain is lovely... Okay, Sarah, then I'm going to defer to you on this one going forward with all those. I was much more interested in Aaron Judd's answering a question about possibly trying to repeat what he accomplished in 2022. It could be. You never you never know. You never know. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, every time you play in New York, it's I feel like it's like you're chasing you're chasing history, you know, so it's. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm used to those moments, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, if it's historic or not, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, being back here and getting this thing rolling. 
that's the reality TV I care about. Like Aaron Judge production in the field. I don't care whether they put a C on his jersey. Christian Yelich talked about the Brewers acquiring Jesse Winker and William Contreras and his excitement for the upcoming season. Every year, every team is its own um, story. We don't really know how this one's going to go yet, but uh, you know, we got a lot of talented players, and let's see if we can put it all together. They're both two really talented players that should help us out a lot. It's good to have him on our side. You know, we played against Jesse a lot when he was in Cincinnati, obviously. So it was tough to get him out. So to have him on our side is going to be going to be nice. Um, play against William a little bit, I think, last year. You know, really good hit, a really good player. So you know, definitely good to have him catching for us and uh, a bunch of other contributors as well. That was part of the group uh, that uh, formed a horseshoe around Mets owner Steve Cohen on Monday as he talked about his team payroll and what his plans are going forward. Here's some of that. Well, you know, listen, that's part of my consideration. And, you know, I, I made a commitment to the fans, right? And it wasn't a short-term commitment. You know, when I do something, I don't do it halfway, okay? I mean, I, when I'm in, I'm all in. And, uh, you know, I, I don't accept mediocrity well. And so I have a certain high expectations. And it, you know, if it requires me to invest in this club, then I'm going to do it. Yeah, Steve Cohen, uh, very direct in some of what he said yesterday about his spending. You're going to hear more of that Steve Cohen presser uh, later in the podcast. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, the low post twice a week on uh, YouTube. He's doing video now. He's doing gangbuster numbers over there. You should check him out. You can listen to him wherever you're listening to this podcast. A lot of mid-season, I guess it's like three-quarter way through the season, but a lot of like recap where we stand at this point before the playoff push. So check out the low post wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. The Chicago Cubs. The Cubs were a non-factor in 2022, winning just 74 games, losing 88s as they continued to cycle away from the World Series team of 2016. The front office is back to building with a distinct focus on pitching and defense. Newcomers. The Cubs decided to build around Gold Glove shortstop Dansby Swanson, investing $177 million in him, not only because they want a shutdown defender at a premium position, but they also want to help build a new culture. The Cubs also signed Cody Bellinger, an elite defender in center field, and they added Tucker Barnhart, another former Gold Glove winner, behind the plate. Gone but not forgotten. Wilson Contreras moved on through free agency, signing with the rival Cardinals. Wade Miley made just nine appearances with the Cubs last year and has now landed with the Milwaukee Brewers. Fault lines. Augmented pitching and defense changed the team dramatically. The Guardians and Rays are among the teams that have demonstrated in the last decade that a major turnaround can happen through pitching and defense, and the Cubs aim to follow that blueprint. They believe that Nico Horner can be an elite plus-plus defender at second base, and all of that should help sinker baller Marcus Stroman and the others on the Chicago pitching staff, which will likely be starving for run support. The X Factor. Let's get this out of the way. The Cubs offense is not going to be very good, but the hope is is that the team will get enough runners on base and maybe be a little bit better at taking the extra 90 feet so that they can be more competitive. Eric Hosmer was dumped in the middle of last season by the Padres and then at the end of last year by the Red Sox. He is a reclamation project and Chicago's hope is that he'll be among the left-handed hitters who benefit from the new restrictions against defensive shifts. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Paul Embikidi says 81 wins, and I think he's got that right. Pakota projects the Cubs with 76.3 wins.
Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa. Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield, of course, covers baseball for ESPN. And and I feel like a, a grumpy old man tonight. Dave, I, I, I today, Dave, because I we talked about Aaron Judge being named captain, and I, I just find that whole discussion to be sort of absurd. Okay, <laughs> and and he was asked about it yesterday, and I'm like, please, can the media stop talking about the captaincy because it really doesn't matter. He's this a great not team hockey. leader. It doesn't matter if you put something on his jersey. <laughs> Come on, Buster. It's all part of this great Yankee mythology. We oh. need a captain for the Yankees. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, tell the story, like when Derek Jeter was a young player, he was definitely a leader on that team, right? He was great. He, you know, the way he played hard, I think he helped set a tone on that team. And there are other stuff that I saw that happened that way. And then toward the end is, you know, he was more of a, you know, he was more of a public figure than he was necessarily a great player. He became less of a leader on that team and yep. younger players gravitated toward Alex Rodriguez. It's about, the connection between the players and Aaron Judge has that now. No one needs to put a C on his jersey. Yeah, and look, we all know leadership, it's not pep talks in the clubhouse. That rarely happens in baseball. It's just going out, out there, showing, uh, showing up every day, working hard, and leading by example. And we all know Aaron Judge does that, you know, great work ethic. So he's already a leader. He doesn't need the C. It's a little silly, but – it's the Yankees, so whatever. Yeah, I'm going up to Cardinals camp after I get done with you today, and Paul Goldschmidt is kind of the same way, right? Yep. The guy who brings along young players, uh, you know, encourages them, uh, you know, do, and they watch him, and they see how he does, goes about his base running, his, uh, his approach every day, and they match that. And that's kind of what Judge does, um, you know, with the Yankees. Uh, I was much more interested, as I, as I told Sarah and Taylor, about Judge being asked the question about replicating what he did last year, which theoretically could carry its own set of pressure. But I think that he'll handle that easily. 
Yeah, I think so. You know, look, he's had two years in a row now where he's been pretty healthy. Um, clearly, that's the number one key, just stay out there. Because you look at his entire career since 2017, when he's on the field, he's been one of the very best players in baseball. His war for 162 is like seven and a half or something. So, yeah, that's not the 10.6 he had last year, but he's played at an MVP level every year, basically, when he's on the field. So all I want from him is 150 games. Is he going to hit 62? Probably not. But if he hits 50, that would not shock me in the least. No, not at all. Uh, and I think he's well-equipped. It does feel like that he's got the mental side of the game absolutely locked down. You know, Aaron Boone told me at the end of last season, he really thinks the judge has figured out how to manage himself physically through the year to yep. do uh, you know more with less. And so I think he'll be okay. One guy I'm really curious about this year to watch on a daily basis for the Yankees, someone who wasn't available to them after they traded for him last year, is Harrison Bader. Do I think when we assess the the 23 Yankees, he can be underrated. Like, I don't think people understand how good he's going to help that defense. What do you think about Harrison Bader? Yeah, no doubt. One of the, the faster runners in the league. He's a premium center fielder. So you throw him in center and judge in right, and you have two gold glove caliber outfielders. And yeah, left field, they're going to have to figure out. But I love what that's going to do for the defense. And the Yankees, by the defensive metrics last year, were already one of the the best defensive team, number one by some. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree that they were the best defensive team, but they're pretty pretty good, especially Jose Trevino is a gold glover at catcher. Anthony Rizzo's great. I know Yankee fans are down on Josh Donaldson as a hitter, but he's still a good defender. Um, DJ LeMahieu, wherever he ends up playing, he's a good defender. So their defense is very underrated. Yeah, it's a good sign from DJ LeMahieu the other day when he spoke with reporters that he feels like he's going to be 100% to go. Uh, and I'll just say this. Other players will say that and I'll nod and go, uh-huh. DJ LeMahieu is so earnest uh, when he talks about how he's feeling and where he's at physically. I, I take that more at face value than I would with other players. Um, and I know the Yankees were concerned at the end of last season whether or not he'd be able to bounce back, and so it's a good sign that he's able to do that. I sent you an email early this morning because I was going to throw this question at you, kind of a fun question, uh, about find a team or identify a team that you're intrigued by for its potential improvement, but not necessarily a team that's going to make the playoffs. I mean, maybe you do pick them to make the playoffs, but a team that you feel like is on the rise under the radar. I'm going with the Diamondbacks, Buster. And look, it's tough because I knew you were going there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard because the top of the NL is so loaded, but I love their direction. Corbin Carroll, he's the favorite for NL Rookie of the Year. He had the fastest sprint speed in the majors last year. He can hit, and he made it to the majors, Buster, with like 140 career minor league games because he missed 2020 with COVID. He had a shoulder injury in 2021. and But he made it last year from AA to AAA all the way to Arizona where he had a really good September cameo. Jake McCarthy had a really good second half rookie season last year. He's one of the fastest guys in the majors. Alec Thomas was another rookie outfielder last year. I like him. They also have this group of young starters who are all 
Major League Ready, Ryan Nelson, Dre Jamison, Brandon Fat, I think is how you pronounce his last name. All three of those guys are going to compete for the rotation. They signed Evan Longoria, who can, you know, still play a little bit. I wish they would have added a little more to the bullpen and maybe a veteran starter, but a lot of good young talent there. Yeah, I look at them as being clearly, clearly the third best team in the National League West. The Padres, Dodgers, and I think Diamondbacks are clear third with the Giants being fourth. Are you buying that? Yeah, I'm buying it. Arizona is going to be my sleeper team in every article I write this spring. Yeah, Gi- you know, look, the Giants have a way of maybe surprising again, but I don't, I'm with you. I don't see it. I just love the direction. And maybe sometimes with young players, we jump on them a year too early. You know, maybe Colbin Carroll has to adjust a little bit and so on. But, uh, you know, and I didn't mention Zach Gallon. You know, this guy was a number one caliber starter last year. He had that streak of, what, 40 scoreless innings in August and September. Um, Merrill Kelly, very underrated. So I'm with you. Arizona, third in the West for sure. Yeah. Well, actually, the Cubs are my team because I think they're going to improve greatly through the defense. And let's face it. You're a little biased with Corbin Carroll because he's a Seattle guy. He is a Seattle guy, Lakeside <laughs> High School. <laughs> and I'm a little biased because he was on the podcast on Monday, and he was terrific. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to him, but, boy, he was interesting. Uh, yeah, I talked to him at the Futures game last year. Very uh, bright, confident young player. Confident. So at the time, I asked him, well, what's his timeline? And he started to say, I better get called up this year. Then he held back, you know, like he didn't want to sound too too arrogant there. But this is a kid who, who clearly believes in his abilities, and he should. He's going to be a really good player. So I was in the group where the Mets announcer, Steve Cohen, uh, spoke in Port St. Lucie yesterday, and he didn't really say anything that newsworthy to me. Like when I reported back to SportsCenter, I'm like, hey, it wasn't really – I thought there was so much subtext to what he was saying, and it was almost like he was speaking directly to other owners uh, about uh, you know his payroll and where he's gone with it. One, he made a point of saying to reporters that when he was at the owners meeting recently, everybody was nice to him, and he said <laughs> he actually had some owners come up to him and say, you know, I agree with you, which I think is absolutely the case. And two, I think he, he went to this over and over again that he's going to you know, look for a future investment or continued investment in their farm system where the subtext for that, you know, and I know, he's basically saying I could bring my payroll back. Now, folks with other teams are skeptical about that, <laughs> that he'll actually do that because he clearly cares about winning. All of it, to me, signals that uh, over the next three, four years, we have a major war brewing between big markets, small markets. What do you think? Yeah, look, it's it's going to be a fascinating subtext over the long term. And look, I agree he can keep his payrolls up at that level, but it's hard to sustain a winner just signing free agents because you end up with a team of old players, and that does not work in today's game. So at some point you're going to have to develop young players, and that naturally will bring that payroll back down. Obviously, he's going to always be in the book for the big superstar free agents, but I feel like this is kind of a short-term thing, um, signing this many free agents like they have the last couple of years. But Buster, for all the small market owners out there whining, I get it, but aren't the Padres 
the bigger problem for the small yes. market teams? Because if they're running a $280 million payroll, they're the team that small market teams should be saying, what the heck are you doing? Yeah, and I talked to a player yesterday who mentioned to me that, you know what, you can't uh, cry poor if you're one of the small market teams without opening your books. If you yep. really want people to believe, especially in light of what the Padres are doing, that uh, we're in trouble if we can't spend, then there has to be more transparency. And I, I don't think that'll happen, but it needs to happen. Otherwise, shut up. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, you look at the payrolls this year and a team like Milwaukee, and they, I think we don't know the books. I think they've done a pretty good job of pushing their payroll during this Trying stretch to of success. In moments like trading for But Sebastian. then they cut back this year. They're 20 or 30 million below where they've been at their peak. So, and that's a, a team that draws very well despite their small market. You know, um, they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they made it the, what, three or four years in a row before that. So why is a team like that cutting back when they've spent more in the past? Those are the teams that I find a, a little frustrating. Yeah. And to uh, talking about Steve Cohen, if let's say next November, Billy Epler, his general manager, reports back to him that, yeah, if we give Otani $55 million a year rather than $50 million, then we can get him. Do we really think Steve Cohen's going to pull? Nah, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to upset the market too much. I don't want to go beyond the market. Of course he's going to make that move. Right. Uh, if Otani becomes a free agent, which is something his agent, Nez Balelo, won't say out loud. And look, and I get it. If you're a fan, if you're a Pirates fan or an Oakland fan, I get the frustration because your team is not ever going to be in the game for a Shohei Otani. Right. But I don't know what baseball can do. You know, the players union has decided we're going to pay the veterans. So the free agent salaries are sky high. It's not the NBA where the superstars get to basically dictate where they want to play. Um, it's not the best system, but base, but I don't know if the systems in other sports are really any better, but they're perceived as better. And that's the problem baseball has. I do wish that Otani's agent would just say out loud that he's going to free agency. And I, I'm trying to figure out why he's not. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise, if he doesn't say that explicitly, then the rest of this year, you got an idiot like me who's going to walk up to him like, hey, Shohei, any recent conversations? Yep. Uh, to me, all you have to say is spring training has started. We told the Angels that we're not going to negotiate during the year. Yes, he's going to test free agency next fall. And, you know, Nez kind of hinted around that a little bit, but just say it. Just say it. Nobody's going to be a, you know, take that personally, you know, do what Manny Machado did and say, I'm going to opt out at the end of the year. You know, it's not that hard to say I'm signed for 2023. I'm going to play the season. I'm going to put my forward, my best effort. Then we'll see what happens in November and December, January. You know, I don't know why they're not doing that. So I got to witness in Mets camp kind of a fun scene. Max Scherzer was on the mound. He was throwing live batting practice. And the group that he was throwing to included Pete Alonso. Uh, it was uh, Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Lindor. And in the middle of Lindor's plate appearance against Max, 
Max was just about to go into his delivery and Lindor raised his hand and called timeout. And Max started yelling at him. And I'm going to paraphrase what he said. Something along the lines of, that's the one you get. That's the one timeout you get. And they're laughing because they know that the pitch clock is coming. And, and Max said to him, I'm looking right at the pitch clock behind home plate. I know where the time is. And, you know, these are conversations you're going to be having all year. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, Buster. And I had a piece the other day where I looked back at some historic moments and looked at them, If what would have happened if we had the pitch clock. But it's a reminder, batters are, have just as big of an adjustment here as pitchers. And you, you were at Mets camp, and I noticed looking at the numbers at the Baseball Savant site where they keep track of this, four of the slowest hitters in the majors last year Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, Mark Canna, and Brandon Nimmo. The Mets as a team are a team that love to step out of the box, collect their thoughts, think about the next pitch. So as much as any team, the Mets hitters are really going to have to adjust and learn to stay in that batter's box. Yeah, and among those players you mentioned, I could see Pete Alonso being bothered most by it because Pete's one of those guys, and I have the utmost respect for Pete, and he cares so much. But when during his plate appearances, it's almost like a thought balloon forms over his head. You know what I mean? You could see him just concentrating and thinking so hard. Who knows? Maybe it'll benefit him. It might, you know, a guy like Aaron Judge, he never steps out. He just stays in the box, you know, so. Giancarlo Stanton never moves. Yeah, some guys never move. And then, you know, Bryce Harper, you know, uh, I looked at his video last year with that home run. You know, he's stepping out, adjusting his gloves. Obviously, he's out at the start of the year, but he's a guy that's going to have to really reconfigure his approach. So there's some some interesting names on that list of guys who have to work a little faster. Dave, thanks for doing this. Uh, next time you come on, I want to see on your shirt. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll buy a pinstripe T-shirt with a C. Bob Kendrick is the president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, and this morning, Bob, you're joining us via Zoom from Jefferson City, Missouri. What are you doing there? I'm headed to the state capitol, Buster. As I overtime say, I got my begging shoes on. So I'm going up to roam the halls of the state capitol, talk to state legislators about all the great things that are happening at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, trying to make sure we can continue to garner support from the state for the uh, museum. And so it'll be a full day here in the, in the state's capitol, and then I'll make the trek back to Kansas City later on this afternoon. All right. How much does that effort help you do what you do at the museum? Oh, it's it's been tremendous. It has been tremendous. The state has been tremendously supportive of the museum over the last five to seven, eight years or so. Uh, It has helped with programming. It has helped with needed repairs to the museum. It has helped with the expansion project that we're working on to create the Buckle Neal Education and Research Center. So yeah, now there are any number of things that uh, we are able to apply these resources to, to allow us to keep doing the great work that we're doing at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. All right, so tell me, you know, it's it's interesting this spring uh, and during the course of the winter time, I've heard so many uh, baseball executive owners talk about, well, we got through the pandemic and how they were uh, affected by that. How about you? Same thing. Museum? Same thing, you know, we all, everyone around the world were impacted tremendously by, by this worldwide pandemic. 
the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum was certainly no exception. We shuttered our doors on March 14th of 2020. We reopened them, however, in June, June 16th of 2020. And we've been operating steadily ever since. And, and I tell the story all the time. We were in the, we were right in the midst, Buster, of launching our 100th anniversary celebration of the birth of the Negro Leagues. And this was going to be a major undertaking for the museum, a year-long celebration. We were going to have a major fundraising campaign built around the anniversary. We announced it on February 13th of 2020 with Major League Baseball and the Players Association represented there. And 30 days later, everything comes to a screeching halt, just like that. A don't go coronavirus. And, and I tell people, I still don't know what a coronavirus is. I just know it wreaks havoc. And, and, but as I also oftentimes talk about this, as a steward of this story, you know you are not allowed to wallow in self-pity. Right. That would be doing a tremendous disservice to those who call the Negro Leagues home. But as I oftentimes say, there was some wallowing going on. Now, there was definitely some wallowing going on, man, because we had built this entire year-long celebration. This was going to be the thing that was going to propel the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum into the future. And all of a sudden, you feel so helpless. But also, and I use a, a terrible baseball analogy to describe coronavirus. Coronavirus buster was that big, nasty right-hander that threw one high and tight, knocked you down. And so you know you got to get back up, you got to dust yourself off, and you got to get back in the batter's box and try to figure out how you're going to hit this sucker. And that's exactly what we were able to do. And we launched a virtual campaign called Tip Your Cap to the Negro Leagues, and the campaign goes viral. And then all of a sudden, the feeling of doom and gloom that was surrounding me at our museum turned to renewed hope and optimism. It's about resiliency. And the story of the Negro Leagues, the crux of it, is about resiliency, that resilient spirit that basically allowed them to refuse to accept the notion that they were unfit to play this game. So I'll show you. And we had to channel that kind of resiliency, and we were able to do that. And to be honest, we had one of the best years in recent museum history wow. after we came out of COVID in 2020. And we've been riding that wave ever since, you know, with Buck O'Neill going into the National Baseball Hall of Fame, which I did not think was going to happen. You know, this was an improbable event that took place when Buck gets voted in. And then last year, of course, being inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. So let me ask you along those lines, as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, you know, the, tarot, the Texas Rangers sort of lived in a parallel universe as you, uh, in, so to speak, because they opened up a new ballpark. And yeah. 2020 was going to be the year that they were going to sort of relaunch their franchise, right? And they didn't have an opportunity to do that. And they still have been trying to recover, which is why you've seen them spend big money on uh, Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and Bruce Bochy and uh, Jacob deGrom. And, you know, they're clearly sort of trying to, to relaunch that. Did you guys have any discussions about somehow uh, relaunching the idea of the 100th anniversary? Because I remember being excited about that. I no, don't we, know and, if there's some yeah. form or some way to do that. Yeah, and we all were. But again, even though we couldn't do all of the events, 
that we yeah. had planned during that year. Think about what happened in December of 2020. Major League Baseball makes the epic and historic announcement that it was recognizing the Negro Leagues for exactly what we already knew it to be, a major league. And that had a ripple effect. You know, so all of a sudden, I think the engagement around the Negro Leagues and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, even though we were in the midst of this worldwide pandemic, the engagement around the museum started to grow. And so while the corporate support for our museum suffered tremendously, because you got to take care of people, health and human services absolutely moved to the forefront. Cultural institutions like the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum get pushed a little bit on the back burner. But surprisingly, because of the level of engagement, we saw our individual support grow three, fourfold. And we were able to do things with the Major League Baseball teams that even heightened that engagement because they didn't have that much to do. You know, they didn't have all the stuff they would normally have to do. And so we were able to absolutely capitalize on a situation that seemed so dire initially. And like I said, we've been building on that momentum. We're riding that wave of momentum. We get to Buck being voted in. And now Buck O'Neill is leading what would have happened in, in, in 2020. He's spiritually leading this effort right now. And so we are preparing to, to launch another significant fundraising effort. You may have seen the, the amazing release of the animated shorts that we did with Major League Baseball. First ever series of animation on the Negro Leagues that we did in partnership with Major League Baseball and the epic announcement of the inclusion of Negro Leaguers in the Sony PlayStation video game, MLB The Show 23. And this too has had a ripple effect. You know, I'm so far removed from the gaming stage, you know, Buster, when I was playing on the, on the video game, it was Atari. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I've had that conversation with my son, uh, you know, try to explain to him Pong. Like yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> moving across slowly across the screen. So before I ask you about Satchel Page, uh, tell me about how people can help if they want to help. Yeah, no, if, if we were, we welcome the support. You can become a member of our organization. You can make a general donation to us. We're, you can go online to nlbm.com and learn all about the great things that are happening at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. If you can't make your way to Kansas City, we will come to you. We have traveling exhibitions that are readily available. And we have, matter of fact, we have seven national touring exhibitions. And so we are always on the move. Like I said, I want everyone to come to Kansas City. But if you can't come to us, we'll come to you. Just let us know and we will bring one of those exhibitions out to your area because we want people to have access, Buster, to a story that is still not a part of the pages of American history books. And it was not, I don't think there was ever a time people didn't want to know about the Negro Leagues. They just had no way to know about the Negro Leagues until this museum emerged. And so it is still very much incumbent upon me to make sure that I provide access. And I hope I whet your appetite to the point that you want to come to Kansas City and experience this wonderful museum. 
All right. One of the great Negro League stars, of course, was Satchel Paige. I mentioned to you before we started, I was on YouTube last week and I saw this interview that he did with Dick Cabot. <laughs> and I don't know what year that was. My guess was like 1970, 71. And I just loved listening to him talk. And he talked, I think he said he would, in some years, he'd pitch as many as 150 games. Uh, and what I loved about Satchel in that interview was, you could, first off, I mean, clearly, he's one of the best ever at what he did, but also the confidence and the acumen and oh, the yeah. understanding <laughs> of him. And so I'm going to ask you for your favorite Satchel Page story, but the comp that I had as I'm listening to him and I'm watching his body language, I was like, that is Pedro Martinez. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Pedro Martinez was five, you know, five foot 11, but he would stand on the mound with that little wry grin that he had, like, oh, he I'm going to beat you. Oh, yeah, there was no, a period he, of time. He, he, he knew he was going to beat you. Yes. He, he was going to beat you, and he was looking forward to matching wits against you. And, and that was Satchel. As Buck O'Neill would say, you might beat him when he was out there messing around. But Buster, when he was locked and loaded, you couldn't touch him. And, and so one of my favorite stories is actually a story that I initially heard the great Vin Scully tale. And then I had it verified with Whitey Herzog when Whitey and George, George Brett, uh, Mr. Herzog is over at the Cape. They're back in one of the suites holding court. Everybody said, well, Mr. Herzog and George are back there. Why don't you go and say hello to him? And I do. And the first question I asked him, I said, I heard the story about you and Satchel Page. I want to know if it's true. He says it's absolutely the truth. Well, the year is 1956. Now, if you believe that Satchel was born in 1906, which I absolutely do not, but that would make him 50 years old now. And he is now pitching for the Miami Marlins in AAA. And he is pitching highly effectively, whether the man was 50 or possibly 60 years old at the time. And so who was on that team? A young outfielder named Whitey Herzog. And so they're playing in Rochester, New York. And so Buster, the Rochester team, had a knot hole in the outfield wall. And they had a promotion that said if any batter could hit the ball on the fly through the hole, you could win $100,000. Well, man, it was virtually impossible. But Mr. Herzog says he decides he's jogging. He took some baseballs with him because he wanted to see if the ball would fit through the hole. Well, there's just enough circumference to squeeze that ball through the hole. He goes and gets satchel. He says, Satchel, you're always bragging about how great your control is and how you can throw a baseball over a chewing gum wrapper. Honest to God, it's true. He did not warm up using home plate. The old man warmed up. He would have the catcher sit a stick of foil chewing gum wrapper on top of home plate. And wherever the catcher moved the chewing gum wrapper, Satchel right over the top of the chewing gum wrapper. So you're always bragging about how you can throw baseball over chewing gum wrapper. I bet you a bottle of old granddad bourbon that you can't throw a baseball through that knot hole. Now, Buster Satchel had a nickname for everybody. His nickname for Mr. Herzog was Wild Child. He said, <laughs> Wild Child, will the ball fit? Mr. Herzog shows him it's just enough circumference to squeeze that ball through the hole. He says, Wild Child. I'll take that bet. So Mr. Herzog steps off 66 inches. He puts down the pitching rubber. He's going to give the old man three tries to throw that ball through the knot hole. Well, he says Satchel takes the baseball. 
like a hunter is looking through the telescope of his rifle and he measures. And so the first pitch goes in the hole, but spins back out. Mr. Herzog says he is in freaking disbelief. But Buster, he's saying to himself, there's no way he can get any closer than that. The very next pitch, right through the hole. Satchel reaches down, picks up the bottle of bourbon and says, wild child, I'll take that. And saunders on off into the sunset. So (laughs) no, there will never, ever, ever be another Leroy Satchel page. Oh my goodness. I love, I just love that story. Uh, all right. Before we go, tell me uh, major leaguers that uh, you saw come through the museum. Cause I know visiting teams will pass through Kansas city and some players will, will come to the museum. Who's somebody you've met the uh, last couple of years. Oh, so many Tim Anderson, uh, Dave Roberts brought a large group by when the Dodgers came to Kansas city. And that was special given the Dodgers connection to this story in particular and last year being, the 75th anniversary of Jackie's breaking up the color barrier. And who do I look up and see? Clayton Kershaw. Hmm. You know, Clayton and Clayton hung with me every step of the way. He was engaged. He was highly interested as a baseball player. And you know this as well as anyone. No sport holds to his history the way our sport does. And the Negro Leagues are a very important part not only of the story of the game of baseball, but the history of this country. And and so it's exciting to me. And I expect that we will see even more athletes make their way around to see us at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum as they are coming into town to play the Kansas City Royals, particularly now because, you know, a lot of these young ballplayers, they play MLB the show as well. And they're going to see the Negro Leagues inclusion. I, I saw a video recently of Jazz Chisholm the exciting young player there with the Marlins who is gracing the cover of MLB The Show 23. And they showed him a video of me just kind of giving a story about the history of the Negro Leagues and to see the look on his face. He lit up, Buster. He was genuinely excited, not only about the inclusion of the Negro Leagues where you can play as Satchel Page or Buckle Neal or the great bartender Ego and the other players who will be integrated into the game over the next several years, but wanting to learn their stories. Yeah, he won. He was genuinely excited. The look on this young man's face, it just warmed my heart. And, and the Marlins don't come to Kansas City this year, but I can't wait until they do come to Kansas City to welcome him to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Yeah, that'll be fun. And I can't wait to see Clayton probably later in spring training and ask him about that trip and and what stuck out to him. I mean, he was amazing. Dave Roberts, of course, is is amazing. All those young ball players who came over. Mookie Betts, who has been a regular at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Uh, I came, the Dodgers come back to town again this year. And Freddie Freeman, the first thing that he said when I saw him in the locker room, when, because he couldn't make a trip because he had some family obligations, he absolutely had earmarked the fact that they were coming back to Kansas City and that he can't wait to come over and join me for a tour of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Yeah, you'll uh, you'll absolutely love those conversations. Of course, and you both have a one degree of separation from uh, from Henry Aaron. 
Exactly. And, so and you can uh, exchange some stories about Mr. Aaron. All right, Bob, <laughs> thanks for doing this and good luck with the visit at the State House today. Yeah, Buster, thank you, man. Thanks for having me as always. Good to see you. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers had a mess of a season in 2022, finishing 68-94. Sources say that ownership got directly involved in the attempted makeover, encouraging general manager Chris Young to make aggressive moves. And Young went big. Newcomers. The first big offseason addition by the Rangers was to lock up future Hall of Famer Bruce Bochy, who may have benefited from the success of recent experienced hires like Buck Showalter. Then they signed Jacob deGrom, who was the best pitcher on the planet on the days he takes the mound, although he's had a total of 38 starts the last three seasons. The Rangers also signed right-hander Nathan Avaldi and left-hander Andrew Heaney. Fault lines. If the Rangers are to climb in the rugged American League West and seriously compete with the Astros, Mariners, and Angels, then their rotation must stay relatively intact. And DeGrom, Avaldi, and Heaney have all missed significant time because of injuries in their careers. It's possible Texas will have one of the best rotations of 2023. And if you believe that the most reliable predictor of future injuries is past injuries, it's also possible the Rangers group will be riddled with breakdowns. The X Factor. The ownership spending. Once the Rangers hired Bochi and invested a five-year deal in DeGrom in the first winter after signing Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon to hold down their infield, they effectively went all-in in their attempt to catch up with the dominant teams in their division and win a playoff series for the first time since 2011. Rival executives assume that if the Rangers are flirting with contention in midseason, ownership will again be willing to spend to push them over the top. Breakout star. Corey Seager has eight years in the big leagues and three all-star appearances. And so it might seem strange to think of him as someone who can ascend. But analysts like Hembo tell us that the left-handed hitting Seager is among those who might benefit the most from the new restrictions on defensive shifts. Last year, Seager mashed 33 homers, but batted 245 with a 317 on base percentage and a spike in production is needed. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Sarah Lanks at 79. Hembo, 83. Pakota projects 78.3. I'll go with 78. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for Tuesday. Tim Richardson is first up. He writes in, I fell in love with Major League Baseball in 2019 after the first London series. Since been to Cubs, Rays, and Angels. Just love it. Two questions. Mid-season trade. What do teams get back when they trade a good player away? And how does the salary cap work? Truly a new baseball fan. Please inform Tim. Yeah, so let's talk about Otani uh, as an example of this. If the Angels trade him during the course of the year, then they're going to be aiming to get back some high-end, uh, knowing where the Angels are in their progression, 
uh, high-end major league ready players, you know, guys who are uh, either on the cusp of the big leagues or in their first year in the big leagues and knowing the angels at this point, because they've, they've actually put together some pitching. Uh, they're going to be focused on position players going to have to get some of the offense. And the way the salary cap works is uh, at the end of the year, they do that tallying where if a team, um, you know, might be at a certain projection for salary for the year, but if they traded away someone like Otani, that comes off their books when it comes to their salary. It comes down to how much of, of uh, each traded player salary the clubs will take on. Uh, what you'll see with some of the deals that happen in midseason is that some teams will pick up the salary of a player, either coming or going, you know, to, to affect the package of prospects that's also involved in the deal. Next up, we have Andrew Campbell at Real Cam True. He writes in Buster, do you think it's tougher to be a rookie in 2023 than it was 20 or 30 years ago? There was some attention on first round picks back then. Sure, but everyone has a scouting report and knows more about Anthony Volpe today than they ever knew about Jeter in 1995. Yeah, but I think there's a flip side to that, too. Like the players now are so much more educated (laughs) about the big leaguers than they've ever been when they get to the big leagues. They're exposed to it. They're more comfortable with it. You know, there's not nearly the type of hazing stuff that you heard about when I first started covering the big leagues. Uh, I, I think players are more ready than ever when they get to the big leagues, and they're in better shape than they were, much better shape than they were when they got to the big leagues. Our pal Reggie at Baseball Yoda Weather writes in Buster, I used to be supportive of smaller markets, and I think there are advantages big market teams have that should be offset. But the way billion-dollar owners in, in Oakland and other markets act is beyond despicable. If the Padres can do it, they can too. I agree, Reggie. What is going on with your dog in the background? She is, uh, you know, we've the podcast taping has gone on too long for her liking. That's what she's uh, voicing. Apologies. So she's crying for you, like she's, she's longing she, for you. She's like, let's get out of this dumb room right here so I can run around and pee on the couch or something. See, that's the reality show that I would watch, okay? <laughs> you and your dog. Okay. Uh, yes, I do think that, that uh, small market owners need to take a hard look at themselves and a hard look at what they're saying. Uh, you know, I always refer to this during the pandemic, um, you know, when minor league season was shut down, the Oakland athletics cut their salaries initially from 500 to $400 a week. Okay. I mean, think about that. A billionaire owner cutting the salaries of his minor leaguers from 500 to $400 a week. And then they be- basically after that, the A's were shamed into changing that decision. Despicable indeed. Uh, Gabe at GP06119 writes in the Cardinals have Walker, O'Neill, Carlson, Newtbar, Yepes, and Donovan obviously don't have a place for all six, even if Carlson and Walker are off the table. Are the rest enough to make a splash in a big way? Would it be negligent not to address starting pitcher with their outfield depth? Yep, I do. Uh, And, and, you know, maybe during the course of the year, you know, we'll hear about them involved in trade talks. Yeah, they have potentially a clear need in starting pitching, and they're in a great situation with their position players because they can just simply say, hey, whoever's playing the best, that's the guy, those are the guys who are going to play. As I mentioned, I'm going to Cardinals camp right after we get done the taping today. And and I actually was going to dig into the question why the Cardinals so good at developing young position players? 
Here's uh, two tweets here. Common sentiment we got um, when we asked for questions for Joe Martinez, more of a rhetorical question, which we avoided with him. But Asterisk Fan UK writes, uh, what is the thought process behind shortening an average Major League Baseball game from three to three and a half hours to two and a half to three? I've never met anyone who didn't like baseball, but said they would if it was 30 to 60 minutes shorter. As a fan, this drive to shorten games makes little sense. Bunting with two strikes uh, basically agrees and um, says you're alienating hardcore fans for an uninterested audience? Uh, I will flip that question and say, if they shorten the game with a pitch clock, are hardcore baseball fans not going to watch? Really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) On the other hand, and I would say this, and I don't, you know, Major League Baseball is not giving us all the analytics they're digging into, but the sport now is driven by analytics. You damn well know that people in marketing at Major League Baseball have done a lot of testing, have done a lot of surveys and talking to uh, folks like my 18-year-old son, Jake, and asking them the question, what is it about baseball that you like or what is it you don't like? That's driving whatever the information they've gathered, that's driving these conversations. And and I've told the story about Jake many times, you know, huge sports fan, watch sports, thinks about sports all day. And I ask him to sit down and watch a game and he says, it's too slow. And I, I had conversations with people who say same things, including people who work in front offices. I agree. I mean, I I like baseball a lot. I love watching games, but it's it's not my favorite sport. If it was if it moved along a little bit quicker, like I might enjoy it a little bit more. I'm on that fringe between like really liking and loving baseball. And, you know, that does it for me. I love football. Football games need to be shorter. Basketball games need to be shorter. Like all of these games, they just take too long, like across the board. I don't think it's. You know, it's not going to alienate me, but I, I get the sentiment for sure. Okay. Uh, breaking uh, in here with a, a Bleacher tweet that literally just came in because we've talked about it throughout the entire show. Uh, Will D at Will D NYC writes in Baseball Tonight podcast. Now that Aaron Judge has been named the next Yankees captain, do you see other teams following suit and increasingly naming legacy players captains? Doesn't this help bring fan excitement to other teams? No, it doesn't. <laughs> I, I, I don't see it. I, you know, maybe, I mean, heck, I, you know, I'm probably am wrong, but I, I just, who cares? There's yeah. no official duties. It's just a piece of fabric. Yeah. <laughs> like it changes nothing. I mean, maybe, I guess, you know, Francisco Lindor, if, uh, if the Mets at some point went to him and said, Hey, we're going to make you captain. We're going to put a C in New Jersey. He would say all the right things. He'd be gracious. It would change nothing about the hierarchy within the clubhouse. And I know that there are managers who privately don't like to have to navigate around that because people change during their careers. People, you know, as leaders, is is uh, who's a leader in a clubhouse? I've had so many players through the years tell me, you know, guys who are considered to be great leaders, and then let's say they break their leg or they suffered a, you know, a major elbow injury. They feel like they can't say anything. Like I'm on the injured list. It's not really my place to be telling other players what to do when I'm sitting watching them play. And, and that's why I think that most teams – don't like to do this because it's constantly evolving who the leader in a clubhouse is. Last one for today, Joe Eli at Joe 618. Joe writes in as a sincere follower of Christ and a lifelong baseball fan. I'm fine with Taylor's lighthearted use of the Rev title. I'm sure you'll keep respecting the many hardworking ministers out there. Yes, I I respect the profession, you know, as a fellow uh, reverend minister, you know, I I have to respect, uh, you know, my compatriots. So. Yeah, and just to be clear, I think I'm the one who tagged you with that. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like you just walked in one day, got on the podcast and go, I'm going to be the rev. Although I would do that, and, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Never mind. Yes, that would be something you would think. Yeah. We'll keep it respectful, Joe. And uh, thanks for writing in, everyone. A lot of great Bleacher tweets. We'll be back on Thursday. So keep sending them in. That's it for today. Then my thanks to Bob Kendrick, to Dave Schoenfield, to Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.